Thank you. 
Take your copy of God's Word this morning, please, and open it to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. While you're doing that, I want you to listen to this little poem that I ran across this week called When Little Boys Pray, uh, written by Gates Hebbard. And uh, Gates wrote, When little boys kneel by their beds and fold their hands and bow their heads and shut their eyes and start to pray, I don't think God is far away. I think He listens with intent to any message that is sent by little boys who kneel at night. I think God tries with all His might to answer prayers that small boys make in His Son's name for His Son's sake. It's just something special about listening to a child pray, isn't it? Little boy or little girl when they bow their heads and they close their eyes and maybe they grasp their hands and they begin to talk to our Heavenly Father. But have you ever thought about uh, Jesus as a little boy? Um, I know you thought about Him as a baby in a manger, uh, but have you ever thought about uh, the little toddler Jesus? Have you ever thought about Jesus as a little toddler, a little boy praying to His Father? Have you ever thought about Jesus going out and playing with the other village children or doing homework or doing chores or learning the alphabet or learning arithmetic? You know, there are some people in our lives who we just have a hard time picturing them as children. Um, you ever known anybody in your own personal life that uh, has been old the whole time you've known them? I mean, uh, just the whole time you've known them, they've been old. They, they've always had white hair or no hair. They, they've always had wrinkles. And from the very early memory that you have, you think about them as an older person. And when you think about that particular person, whoever that is, uh, it might be hard for you to picture them playing hide-and-seek or uh, picturing them playing basketball or riding a tricycle. Um, you've always thought about them maybe as being an older more mature, wiser, maybe even a stately person. But the fact of the matter is, whoever that person is that you're picturing in your mind right now, uh, they wore diapers too. And uh, they spat up and uh, they cried and, and they probably got spankings uh, when they were little. But Jesus, we have a hard time thinking about Jesus in, in those terms. We have a hard time thinking about Jesus as a regular kid. And we know He's anything but regular. He's God in the flesh. But he came not as Superman, uh, he came as a little baby. And he voluntarily submitted himself to the normal human processes of development and growth. And we really can't understand how all of this worked, uh, how he was God, and he's always been God, he'll always be God. But as God, he submitted himself to where he had to learn to walk and learn to talk and learn to feed himself and the like. He never ceased being God, but he didn't hold on to his divine prerogatives, we might say. John MacArthur said it this way, a feature of Christ's incarnation, that is his coming in the flesh, was that he relinquished control of his divine prerogatives to the Holy Spirit. And it was the Holy Spirit who mediated between his deity and his humanity. And so he voluntarily gave up control of those things and submitted himself to the normal processes of human development. He was perfectly God, and he was perfectly human, and he was fully human, yet without sin. 
So I studied this out and thought about it this past week. A plumber said for the first time, a human infant was realizing the ideal of humanity. Think about that. For the first time, a human infant was realizing the ideal of humanity. In other words, for the first time, a baby did not have to deal with the defects and the defilement of sin. You know, he was the first such infant and the only such infant ever born. When God created Adam and Eve, He created them as humans, right? He created them as adults. But then, of course, they were there in perfect circumstances, in a perfect garden, no sin, full fellowship with each other and God, and yet they sinned. And then when they had their children, their children, they were born into a world that was broken. They were born into sin. But Jesus was the perfect child born to a virgin. And so what I want to do beginning today, and you'll notice that this is part one. And so if you want the full message, you'll have to come back again. We're going to look at part one of the early years of Jesus. Now, last month, we thought a lot about baby Jesus and his coming in the flesh and the incarnation throughout the Christmas season. And beginning today, I want to think about Jesus from babyhood through 12 years of age. And before we're done in this series, we're going to look at Jesus from babyhood to 12 years old and then from 12 years old to 30 years old. Because a lot of times you think about baby Jesus, then we get to the baptism of Jesus by John the Baptist. But what about all those years that came in between the baby in the manger and him stepping forward uh, in his public ministry? Now, to be quite honest, we're not told a lot about this time of his life. Uh, The scripture gives us some information, but there's a lot that's unrecorded. There's a lot that we're uh, not told, but we're curious. I mean, you can't help but be curious, right? What was Jesus doing all that time, from the time he was born to the Virgin Mary to the time that he steps out in his public ministry? I mean, that's a lot of time. What was he doing? We're curious about that. In fact, I understand to satisfy this curiosity uh, that men have written what uh, came to be known as the infancy uh, Gospels. Infancy Gospels. That is, Jesus as a, a baby. And these are not the inspired words of God. These are men's imaginations. And they've made up things. Uh, they, they, they contain spectacular and, and silly miracles. Like they say, Jesus was talking from the manger. Uh, Jesus healed a man who was made uh, into a mule by a spell. Jesus healed him. Uh, Jesus brought clay birds to life with the clap of his hands. Um, they say things like he was healing people by sprinkling them with his old bath water um, and so forth. Silly, ridiculous, maybe we could even say blasphemous things that people are making up about just Those things are not true. Um, I think one of the reasons we're not told very much, beloved, is because for all intents and purposes, Jesus' childhood was fairly normal. He was sinless, but he submitted himself to the human development process. I like what old Trapp said when it comes to the Scripture. Where the Scripture hath no tongue, we must have no ears. Where the Scripture hath no tongue, we must have no ears. We've got to be careful not to believe all these fanciful things, all these foolish things, all these false things. And that goes on a lot in the world. People saying things that are outside of the Scriptures. The only reliable information we have is found in this book concerning the childhood, the boyhood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you're in Luke chapter 2 by now, I'm sure. And we're all familiar with the opening of this chapter. In fact, we spent some time in it throughout the Christmas season. But it's a long chapter. 
And what might happen is you read with interest the first part of the chapter and then you keep going along and, and maybe you fizzle out near the end. Well, you remember you have the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ in the first part. Then you have the coming of the shepherds visiting. And then if you keep reading, you have the circumcision and naming of Jesus. You have the re- them going to the temple and there's the redemption of the firstborn. And then you have the remarkable words of Simeon and of Anna. And then you come down to verse 39, if you find your spot there. Luke chapter 2, verses 39 and 40. Luke chapter 2, verses 39 and 40. It says, So when they, so here Mary and Joseph, bringing Jesus to the temple, doing these things, when they have performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. Now Luke does not mention them going to Egypt to escape the slaughter of the children by Herod. He doesn't mention that. And so what we have here is this brings us to verse 40. And in verse 40, we kind of have a summary of Jesus' life from babyhood up to the age of 12. Now think about that. That's a lot of time in one verse. Verse 40 covers, if you will, the rest of Jesus' life up to the age of 12. Verse 40 says, And the child, talking about Jesus, and the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Covers a lot of time. And we find what we have here is normal development. Do not get in your mind that Jesus Christ walked around with a glowing halo around his head. That did not happen. That's an artist's rendition. That's an artist's imagination. That's not reality. In so many ways, Jesus was a normal child. Now, he was sinless and he was God. But in so many ways, he was a normal child. This verse says that he developed physically. Did you notice that? It says there in verse 40, and the child grew. The child grew. You know what I've learned about children? They grow. And it's hard to stop it. And it's hard to slow it down. And if they don't grow, what's wrong? Something's wrong, right? If they're not growing, something has gone awry. We better get help. We better seek a physician. We've got to do something. And so Jesus is born there as a baby, perfect God, perfect man, joined to the flesh, and that child grew. He had a real body just like we do. And again, this is mind-boggling, but he had a real body, and it says here that he not only grew, it says in verse 40, he became strong in spirit. That is, he grew spiritually. He grew spiritually. Now, again, we have a hard time with this. How could Jesus, as God, have to learn the Word of God? How did Jesus, as God, have to learn the Word of God, His own Word? Remember, He relinquished control of His divine prerogatives. And He voluntarily submitted Himself to these normal human processes. And when you really start thinking about the early years of Jesus, how can we help but worship him for his humility in coming and doing these things? So we see here he developed physically. He developed spiritually and he also developed mentally. If you notice verse 40 again, what does it say there? Verse 40, and the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom. He was learning. He was growing. He had to learn to walk. He had to learn to talk, to feed himself. He had to be potty trained. He had to learn to read and to write. Taught all the normal processes that you and I are taught. uh, That we teach our children and our grandchildren. The big difference though with Jesus was He did all this and He was sinless. He was perfect in His humanity. 
And no doubt, because he was sinless, he was a quick learner. Uh, I imagine, you know, they say we don't use much of our brains. <laughs> um, uh, we use a small fraction of our capacity, right? I imagine that Jesus, being God, had full use of his brain. Imagine he was probably a fantastic quick learner. So he's growing in all these areas like we do, but we remember something, he's God. And he's perfect human. I like the way J. Oswald Sanders said it. His knowledge came to him in degrees, but every degree was perfect. His knowledge came to him in degrees, but every degree of growth was perfect. And so he learned these things. And so this brings us to a very important question. If he's God, and he is, perfect God, perfect man, and he gave up his divine prerogatives, he relinquished control, I should say, of his divine prerogatives. Here's a question we need to ponder. And that's this. When did Jesus know who he really was? Who did Jesus know? When did Jesus know when he, uh, who he really was? Did he always know that he was God? Did he voluntarily submit this as well? Uh, having to come to an understanding as he grew? Now, we know that by the age of 12, we're going to see in a moment, he knew who he was. He knew why he came. He knew what his mission was. But did he know this while he was a toddler learning to walk? Did he know this while he was nursing upon Mary's breast? Now, I'm carefully walking, beloved. I feel like we're on holy ground with this particular question. And I can just tell you, as I've studied out, that great scholars, they they have mixed uh, ideas on this. Uh, J. Dwight Pentecost was very bold in saying this, there never was a time when Jesus did not know who he was, who his father was, and why he came into the world. And so to Dwight Pentecost, he says, well, Jesus always knew when he was a baby, when he was in the womb, and there was never a time he didn't know. But then there are other scholars who maybe that's not the case. And to be honest with you, I'm not sure we can be sure, really. I'm not sure we can understand and even know the answer to that question. We just don't know, but we do know this. He knew who he was, who his father was, and why he came by the age of 12. And we're going to see that as we continue studying. Now, we do know at the end of verse 40, uh, it tells us that the grace of God or the favor of God was upon him. He was blessed. He was his Father's beloved Son in whom He was well pleased. And and, and we need to think about this in regards to this whole humanity of Jesus. Before I jump into the rest of this, let me just mention one more passage. I want to mention to you that Jesus grew up in a normal home for that time period in history. And in fact, He was a part of a large family. Because we always think about Jesus in, in other regards, but think about His home life for a moment. Uh, jot this reference down and listen as I read these verses. Matthew 13, 55 and 56 talks about Jesus' family. Matthew 13, 55 through 56. And by the way, I should have told you, you've got to think with me today now. Don't, don't space out on me. Don't go to sleep on me. Let's think this through together. We're talking about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And it says in Matthew 13, 55 and 56, is, is this not the carpenter's son? Talking about Jesus. Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? And his sisters, are they, all not, are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? 
when you start looking at his family life, and I started looking at it, it says, talks about Mary and Joseph, that's two. Jesus makes three. Then it mentions his four brothers. Then it mentions his sisters in the plural. So it's got to be at least two. Now, I'm not great at math. Math is my worst subject of all, probably. Except maybe languages. I don't know, foreign languages. But here's what I figured out. And you can check my math on it. Two plus one plus four plus two equals nine. There were at least nine in Jesus' family. Mary and Joseph make two. Jesus is one. Four brothers and at least two sisters. Because it's in the plural. His sisters are with us. You remember he was born of the Virgin Mary, but, but Mary and Joseph were married. They had regular relations and, and they had other children. And you have these brothers and sisters, if you will, of the Lord Jesus. Warren Wiersbe said the boy Jesus grew up in a large family in a despised city nurtured by parents who were probably poor. Think about that. A large family in a despised city to parents who are poor. And here they are. And this is where the Lord Jesus grew up. And we don't have to think about this. His humility, his submission, and what he did in coming for us. Well, we come now to one event of his young life that's recorded for us. And in this event here in Luke chapter 2, we'll pick up our reading at verse 41, we have the first recorded words of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, I think if they're recorded in Scripture and they're His first words, we better pay attention to them. We're going to be looking at them uh, together throughout this study. Now let's pick up our reading, chapter 2, verse 41. So we've covered now from the babyhood up to the age of 12. Jesus is 12. We're going to see a scene from His life. Chapter 2, verse 41. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. How many 12-year-olds are in here today? Anybody 12? Morgan, you're 12. Who else? Lindley, you're 12. Laney, you're 12. All right. Jesus Christ. What do you think about it? Jesus Christ is their age. All right. This is 12 years old. This is Jesus at 12 years old. They're at the feast of the Passover. Verse 43. When they had finished the days, as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother did not know it. You got the story? You see what's happening here. Verse 44, But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now so it was that after how long? Three days. How old is he? Twelve. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, You wait till I get my hands on you. No, 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 no. no. Uh, almost. Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, and here's the first recorded words, holy inspired words recorded in Scripture for us of Jesus. And he said to them, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. 
Now, again, this is part one, but here's the first main thought as we go through this passage together. I want to talk to you about the importance of parenting. The importance of parenting. Now, Moses, uh, Moses, Mary and Joseph, you put them together, you have Moses. Uh, Mary and Joseph were hand-selected by God to be the parents of the Messiah, the very Son of God. Mary was his physical, biological, literal mother, and Joseph was his adopted father or foster father, ever how you would like to describe him. They were not perfect, Mary and Joseph. In fact, they were sinners saved by grace just like us. They were not perfect, but they were godly. And we see that time and time again in their lives. We see it in, as we study the, uh, the babyhood of Jesus. They're told that Mary's going to give birth. We see it here. It says in this passage that they went, verse 41, to Jerusalem. How often to the Feast of Passover? They went every year to the Feast of the Passover. Uh, now, we understand that Joseph was required to go as a Jewish man. Mary was not required to go, but she went. And I would assume they all went together. Why? Because they loved Jehovah. They wanted to worship Him and obey Him and please Him. And they took Jesus with Him. And I assume that, they, that Jesus went along every year as well. The family went along together. They went to the Feast of the Passover. Remember, the Feast of the Passover is remembering when they were delivered out of bondage in Egypt when the death angel passed over those who put the blood on the doorposts, Picturing the Lamb. And so, here we are. Jesus is 12 years old, and this would have been a very special year in Jesus' life. The scholars tell us that Jewish boys became responsible for their actions at 13. And at the age of 12, uh, the instruction of boys would become more intense as they would prepare them. Now, we think about Jewish uh, boys, we think about bar mitzvahs, the modern times, but that actually postdates the time of Jesus by 500 years. And so... Uh, we think about it in regards to modern times. The bar mitzvah, that kind of came along later. Uh, in fact, some scholars said that the Jewish boys, they came to this year of responsibility at the age of 12 instead of 13. And others say, no, they were preparing at 12. It happened at 13. But regardless, this was a special year in Jesus' life. He was either preparing for that special time or it was that time. And long story short is they're, they're celebrating the feast of the Passover and they're there throughout these days. Long story short, Mary and Joseph left Jesus behind in Jerusalem. Jesus was left behind. They didn't know it. They weren't aware of it at first. By the way, it would have been easy to do. I understand that they would have traveled in caravans from their home place to Jerusalem. Oftentimes, the ladies and children would be out in the front kind of setting the pace, the men would come behind. And so here you have a perfect scenario. Um, I'm sure that probably maybe Mary thought, well, Jesus is probably with Joseph. And Joseph probably thought, well, Jesus is probably with Mary. Or maybe they thought, well, he's probably off with the other boys or other kids of his age. Now remember, Jesus is the perfect child. No need to worry. He's never disobeyed. He's never talked back. He's never done anything sinful. He's never disobeyed. No need to worry. And the picture here is they go a whole day and they look for Jesus and they can't find Him. Can I just say some encouragement to every parent here? You ever had a parent here? Anybody be honest here and say, there's been a time you don't know where your kids are. You don't know. You've lost track of them. Well, you're in good company. Uh, Jesus' mom and dad, they didn't know where He was either. So they go out one day. I'm not encouraging you to do that. Just say if you have, then... You know, I'm not sharing any stories. But anyway, uh, if you have, you're in good company. They go out one day. Where's Jesus? We don't know. They're a day's journey out. 
They've got to travel back, day two. And it says on the third day, they found Jesus where? In the temple. Verse 46, now so it was that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. Uh, moms, can you imagine not being able to find your child for three days? Can you imagine? How do you feel? There are no cell phones. You can't text them. You can't text their friends. You can't get in contact with anybody in Jerusalem. You can't trace them. You know if they're alive or dead or sick or well. And you're beside yourself with worry and, and, and you're just anxious about this. And if you're wondering, was Mary a normal mom? Look at verse 48. It says in verse 48, when they saw him, they were all amazed. And his mother said to him, now notice her words, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And that word anxiously there literally means the idea of having pain or distress or worry. And there seems to be a rebuke in Mary's words. How could you do this? We've been worried to death. We've been beside ourselves. And it brings us to another question. And that question is this. Was Jesus wrong in what He did? Was Jesus wrong in what He did? Now, we think about it from our perspective. Uh, let's say that uh, we have several here. We have uh, Morgan's 12 and, and Laney's 12 and Lynn Lee's 12. I, I imagine that uh, their mom and dads would want to know if they're going to be staying behind <clears throat> in Jerusalem uh, for uh, a day or two or three. Was Jesus wrong? Well, you and I know the answer, beloved. No. Jesus never did anything wrong. He never sinned. He never disobeyed his parents. He never broke God's law. And by the way, every boy and girl, listen to me, every teenager, don't you dare use this story to disobey your mom and dad and blame me, okay? You let them know where you are and what you're doing. But Jesus wasn't wrong. You see, beloved, this showed that Jesus had a higher calling and mission than just being the son of Mary and Joseph. He had a higher calling and mission than just being the son of Mary and Joseph. Maybe you remember earlier in this chapter, you have Simeon at the temple. And Simeon is blessing uh, Mary and Joseph at one point. And if you look back up in the chapter, verses 34 and 35, look at what it says uh, there, verse 34 and 35. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Now look at verse 35. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. A sword's going to pierce through your soul, Mary. Pierce through your heart. Now we know ultimately that would be the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. As He's standing there watching Jesus die on the cross. Uh, but maybe we see a picture of that here as well. If there's a realization that Jesus is not just a normal boy. He's not just their son He's the very Son of God. And in fact, when Jesus answers them, it says in, in verse 50, look at it, but they did not understand the statement which He spoke to them. Mom and Dad, you ever had a, a trouble understanding your kids? You're in good company. Mary and Joseph didn't understand Jesus. I, I wish we had more time, but we're going to come back to this in the future. But don't close up shop. I want to give you two lessons before we go. We're going to come back and study more, God willing, next week. 
But I want to give you two lessons before we go. We talk about the importance of parenting. And we're looking at parenting here of Mary and Joseph and, and this young Jesus. And, and the very first lesson I want to impress upon your heart is this, beloved. Parenting is a divine assignment. Parenting is a divine assignment. Your children are entrusted to you by a loving God. And our job as parents is to bring up our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And Mary and Joseph are great examples to us. How? Well, several ways. They gave Jesus a solid home life. They gave Jesus personal biblical instruction. They were instructing Him in the ways of the Lord. And they took Jesus to corporate worship. It says here they took Him to the Feast of the Passover. They took Him to Jerusalem. They took Him to the house of God every year. And beloved, I just want to say to you, you may wonder sometimes, are these things important? Yes! A thousand times yes. Taking your child to church. I didn't say sending them. Taking your child. Going with them. Bringing them to church. Coming together as a family is a tremendous thing in helping your child to grow. Teaching them personally at home. Giving them a solid home life. You may not always see it, but I see it. When I sit down to talk with the boys or girls or, or, or young people in our church and they've been here from nursery time and they've been here every Sunday and they've been exposed, it's amazing what they've absorbed in that time as they talk to them about sin and about the Savior and about baptism and about church membership and about the Lord's Supper and all these things. We don't maybe realize it, but they're absorbing all those things. Why? Because you are faithful in instructing them at home and bringing them here to let us help you in instructing your children in the ways of the Lord. Parenting is a divine assignment. It's not a light thing. It's a sacred responsibility. And we dare not undertake it on our own strength and our own wisdom. We need the divine help of our loving Heavenly Father. And we're reminded here as we read this story about Jesus, you know, God had a, a definite divine purpose for His life. And guess what? God has plans for your children as well. God has a plan for your child. And He wants your child to know Him and to love Him. So I want to encourage you to, to encourage them to seek the Lord early, to give their lives to Him, to follow His will for their lives, and to do what God has for them in this world for His glory. So mom and dads, be encouraged. This is not a time, you know, a lot of times when we're preaching on parenting and we leave just, man, I've I got to do better. No, listen, be encouraged. God has given you a divine assignment. And those children are given to you by the hand of a loving God. Let me talk to those under the parents for a moment. Let me talk to the young people among us. I want to give you an important lesson from this passage. It should be encouraging to you. And that's this. Jesus understands what you're going through. Maybe you're here this morning and you're eight years old. Jesus was once eight years old. Or you're nine. Or ten. Or eleven. I've already talked about twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen. Jesus was once that same age. That's an encouragement. Jesus understands. You can take confidence in knowing that He knows he understands and He cares. And I want to encourage you, young people, to follow Him with your life. Follow Him every day of your life. Give your life to Him and then talk to Him about what you're facing because He understands and He cares. And you can honestly say to the Lord, Jesus, you have been this age yourself. 
You know what I'm going through. He cares about you and he loves you. And remember, he was once your age too. We're going to put a bookmark there and we'll come back, God willing, next time. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Have you given your life to Christ? Have you repented of your sin and placed your faith in Christ? If not, I would invite you today to do that. Call out to Him and He will save you. And then I want to encourage all the parents today to commit yourselves afresh and anew and say, Lord, you give me a divine assignment. Help me to do it for your glory. And I want to encourage all the youth here, all the children, to give your lives to Christ and know that He cares about you and loves you and He's been your age before. So if we can help you in some way when we have the uh, invitation song just a moment, we'd love to pray with you. Father, thank You for this time. And Lord, we know that um, we can't fully understand all this. And we can't, with our limited ability, begin to understand divinity and humanity being joined together and all that Jesus submitted Himself to and how all that worked. But Lord, though we can't always understand it, we want to praise You for it. We want to thank You for it. And Father, I pray that You would bless moms and dads and families. As we start this new year, I pray to be a great year of growth, spiritual growth for every family in our church. That Lord, moms and dads would be drawn close to one another. That parents and children would be drawn close together. And that, Lord, you would help our homes to be places of joy, places of honor, places of worship. Lord, we would constantly look to you for the strength that we need. Father, I pray today for our young people and our youth. They face a lot of things in our world, temptations and challenges, many of which even those of us who are adults never faced. Lord, help them to know that Jesus cares and Jesus understands. And Jesus was tempted in all points like they're being tempted, yet without sin. And make it real to them, Lord, that they can come to you and find that strength and that help. And Lord, help us as a church body to support families, to encourage them without interfering, but encourage them to lift up their hands and kind of say a yay and amen to what they're doing at home as they come and hear the instruction here. Lord, we can be a team together, working together, for your honor and your glory. Help us as we continue thinking about these things and studying them out. Open your word to us. Help us to grasp it and help us to be changed. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our closing hymn and the altar is open. It's 576. Take the name of Jesus with you. And again, the altar is open this morning, beloved, if you need to... Uh, Talk with someone about Christ. You want to come and pray. If we can pray with you about something, we'd love to do that. And uh, I'll encourage you. Think about these things. Read over this passage, and we'll jump back in uh, next week, God willing. Let's stand together. The altar is open. 576. Take the name of Jesus with you.